0: I'm making this argument every week that, uh, that there is a, uh, a, a narrative wisdom, a storytelling wisdom to Mark. Uh, you know, we read Bible as Bible. And it's funny, for some reason, sacred writings have a special category they function in our head and a special little place they sit. And we don't read them as ordinary literature. We don't mind them for the intentions of the author. We don't think about how or what the author is trying to, trying to portray. And uh, this, is a, this is a good week. Uh, it's an interesting, a very interesting uh, pivot point in Mark. So what we've done, we, we saw in the lab, that we've seen three proofs Mark is eager to, to, uh, to address. Now, so Mark, Mark, Mark writes this because Peter's out preaching in the first century to the Greeks. And it's this journeyman's gospel, and so it's got all these parts and pieces to prove a thesis that the Son of God has come, that the Son of God has come in Jesus Christ, okay? And he's trying to prove that thesis regularly and routinely. Part of that thesis was proved by the way he called men. He would look at a man, he'd say, follow me, and there's this dramatic, you couldn't meet him without changing. Sometimes you couldn't meet him without hating him, like, you know, just... Very polarizing, very, you know, love him or hate him. He has this power, son of God. And in the ancient world, there were cynics. I'm so glad we don't have any of those here. We don't have any cynics in our church. And, uh, (laughs) I'm sorry, I'm sorry. Uh, And then skeptics and seekers And these are like on a continuum. like some people are predisposed against, perhaps. Some people are just wondering and curious and perhaps just doubting, doubting everything, even themselves. Seekers are probably more predisposed to believing that a son of God could come. Now, we are not predisposed. We do not think a son of God is possible, right? That's our our generation. We don't think a son of God is possible. I'm not here to argue that point right now. I, I don't have time to argue that because uh, that's what we're going to argue with you privately over lunch. <laughs> okay? But all I want you to understand, all I want you to kind of walk with me as we read this story, I want you to walk with me, is understanding what Mark is intending. Does that make sense? How is Mark presenting his argument? Well, Mark's presenting his argument in, in, a very, in three parts most recently in our text from, from chapter four on, and that is, he is Lord of the storm. Lord of the storm. And that is his—that is his dominion over nature. Uh, the atomic material structure of wind and waves beckons at his command. Stills, moves. Uh, it's amazing. All right. There, and the, and the disciples see that. Second, he is Lord of the Legion. Does anybody remember the Legion? The legion over spiritual powers, unseen forces in the world. He meets the gathering demoniac who cannot be bound even by chains. And when questioned, the de- demoniac says, my name is legion for we are many. Horror, 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 horror movie horror movie stuff, right? And it's, this is horror movie stuff. This is kind of uh, uh, X-Men stuff, right? <laughs> Lord of the Storm. Is this Storm one of the X-Men? Yeah, I think yeah. Alright, so and then uh don't huh? Don't pretend like you don't, don't know. Don't pretend like we don't know. I'm just making sure. I, yeah, I did know that I guess, right? I alright, uh, never mind. All right, so Lord of the Legion and finally he is Lord over death. Over death and suffering. Okay. I think then he goes home. Then he goes home. He takes his disciples with him. Let's read. Um, we do know this. His his family said he was um, he was having some mental mental health problems. We know this already. They they tried to get him to come. They said he's out of his mind. Our son has mental health problems, and uh, the small town word gets around. He went away from there and came to his hometown. And his disciples followed him. And on the Sabbath, he began to teach in the synagogue. Many who heard him were astonished, saying, where did this man get these things? What is the wisdom given to him? How are such mighty works done By his hands, is not the carpenter, the son of Mary, and brother of James, and Joses, and Judas, and Simon, and are not his sisters here with us? And they took offense at him. Jesus said to them, a prophet is not without honor, except... In his hometown and among his relatives, Um, somebody let my son in when he. uh, As he said, "Thank you, Alex." All right, let's 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 give my son a round of applause for getting up. Good job, Ian! Good job, Ian! (laughs) Every time I make my son an illustration, I owe him five dollars. So he just told me that. All right, they took offense at him. And Jesus said to them, "A the prophet is not without honor except in his own town and among his relatives and in his own household. Some of the truest words in all Scripture, uh, in my experience. And, and he could no, do no mighty work there except that he laid his hands on a few sick people and healed them. And he marveled because of their unbelief and he went about among the villages teaching, and he called the twelve and began to send them out two by two, and gave them authority over the unclean spirits. He charged them to take nothing for their journey except staff no bread, no bag, no money in their belts but to wear sandals and not to put on two tunics. And he said to them, Whenever you enter a house, stay there until you depart from there, and if any place will not Receive you, and they will not listen to you. When you leave, shake the dust that is in that is on your feet as a testimony against them. So they went out and proclaimed that people should repent, and they cast out many demons and anointed with oil many who were sick and healed them. Uh, Father, I pray for your ministry in my mouth. I pray for wisdom together to understand your scriptures by the power of the Spirit. I pray for the skeptic, the cynic, the seeker, and the saint. Would you meet each one of us where we are with your power and your wisdom. We pray it in Christ. Amen. So, I'm going to maintain that there's a uh, um, three kind of challenges to the text here and, and see where we get with them. Christ rejected. Christ rejected. And th- think about this. That doesn't make any sense. He is Lord of the storm, Lord of the over demonic forces, Lord over death and suffering. Uh, whether you believe this or not doesn't matter. How in the narrative does that make any sense? Why do you? It's just that something about Jesus that doesn't work for people. And so he's Christ rejected. Christ powerless. Did you catch in the, in the text? Uh, Mark is the only one who records this. Is Luke does not say it this way. Matthew tones down the language. It says it blunt as day. He could not do any miracles. Did you catch that? Uh, in fact, somebody actually asked Jesus if he can. He rebukes the person who said, What do you mean if he can? Everything is possible for he who believes. Christ powerless? Why? What's happening? Christ rejected? Well, how does this make any sense? How does this establish the thesis? Uh, Christ rejected? Christ multiplied? And that's the pivot point here that we're going to look at and walk away for ourselves. Christ rejected. I began by telling you about Isaiah 53. By his wounds we are healed. Man of sorrows, what a name. Um, He was despised and rejected by men. What? All right, so then we know that was written. By the way, the antiquity and the integrity of the Isaiah text is remarkable. It's it's tremendously ancient. And it was verified by the Dead Sea Scrolls, especially Isaiah in particular. So it, it is ancient, ancient history. And this ancient history in Isaiah 53 begins to imagine, begins to picture, begins to prefigure a a man, a one who comes and dies and suffers and is not esteemed and is rejected. It's right on the first, it's the very opening, uh, in the very first page of our worship. It was our first text there. And it describes Jesus' experience. And it is Christ rejected. Now, um... How does that establish the Son of God theme? Quite cleverly, quite beautifully, quite, and quite uh, um, with a with tremendous integrity in the whole the whole of the of the scriptures. Something predicted happens, what does that prove about the text? Something's predicted very accurately, what does it prove about the text? Or what or what could it what could it mean? Or what could it say about the text? I mean, it doesn't prove it to you. What, could it, what does it lead you to think or imagine the text was? Something greater than a human invention it is the words of a God. Okay, uh, that, I want you to look at, with me at the, the Christ-rejected idea here. Um, it's everywhere in the text, by the way. I, and, and if you, Mark is the one who's the most vivid here. Uh, in, the ancient, he, uh, uh, in the ancient world, you did not talk about somebody being the son of their mother. You talked about them being the son of their Father. Right? That's, that's the usual. So, does anybody remember what the, what the ancient story is about Jesus' birth? He's born of a virgin. And how many people do you think in his hometown really believed that she had not hooked up with somebody? Show hands. How many people do you think believed that Mary was pure in any way in this, possible, this, this situation? Or that was possible? You get, do you get what this? He's the son of a whore. That's exactly what they're saying. (laughs) Not just rejected, despised. The word there, they took offense at him. And this is wonderful. It's one of those opportunities. You'll catch it right away. This is the actual Greek word. (laughs) Scandalizomai. We get the word? Scandal. They were scandalized. And here it is in all of its beauty. The quick, easy, small-town contempt. Have you guys seen it? I mean, this is a quick, easy, small-town contempt for a local boy who made it good, and look who thinks he's something. Look who thinks he's something. Look who thinks he made it. I know who you are, and I know your brother, and I was getting drunk with him last week, and you're just another one of us. You stink just like us. Who do you think you are? Come preaching here. That's often how I'm received when I go home, to my household. (laughs) You think I'm kidding. And and I'll tell you, rejected. I find this charming, powerful, astounding, beautiful. He's rejected, and the idea being his rejection, he's rejected so that you and I are accepted. You are being introduced in his mere rejection, by men, and the type of the way, the way that he's scandalized and 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 and, uh, and uh, despised here, he is he is entering into his place as the one rejected, the rejected one, who becomes your who becomes our acceptance. This is mysterious. This is a mystery of the gospel here. Well, first of all, part of his rejection is entering into our experience. There's nothing I hate more than rejection. I'll tell you, I, I, I will never forget this as long as I live, the bone-chilling, the bone-chilling, bone, bone uh, mind-harrowing, panic, the pulsing, racing, uh, as, my, as, my, as my pulse would begin to quicken, fear would begin to seize me, as the PE teacher would say, all right, captains, pick your teams for volleyball. I know what this meant. It meant I was going to be the last one Standing. Rejected. Am I the only one who experienced this? All right, thank you. All right, let's go. All right. Play. Some, of you, some of you I know were, were natural athletes. I was not. And uh, I was raised by these freaky hippies, and I didn't even know how to throw a ball. And I, it wasn't my fault. But I was rejected. It, it, it hurts even today. I can still remember the feeling of being rejected. And wonderfully, wonderfully, there's an idea in this Son of God idea that Christ rejected is his identifying with how we have experienced rejection, and we all have, and the fears of rejection that haunt us, and even God, the idea that God might reject us. But then if God is the one rejected, he doesn't reject people anymore. Does that make sense? If he's the one that experiences rejection, he identifies with us. He, he warms up to us. He's, he's like, I know, I know, I know the fear. I know that fear of being the outsider and the the reject, the one, the one who's been talked bad about. I know that story. I know that story. I redeem. I love that story. He said, "Right, I'll walk. I'll walk in that story all day long with you, as one rejected." Something else is going to happen here, though. Something else is going to happen too. Christ rejected. Um, you ever heard of the, the passages from Psalm one eighteen? The stone the builders rejected has become the capstone. The Lord has done this. It is marvelous in our eyes. It's going to anticipate how we, when we're rejected because of uh, the good news of Jesus, we're walking, we're walking in His, we're walking in Him beautifully. All right. So that's Christ rejected. What about Christ powerless? How can that be? In verse 5, it said, he could do no mighty work there. There were attempts even by early scribes to try to amend that. That doesn't make any sense. The thesis has been proved. Quantum mechanics goes out the door. This is the man who speaks and the winds calm. This is the man who raises the dead. This doesn't happen. This is the man who, who speaks to the spiritual forces and they are compelled by him. This is, and he can't do anything. How can omnipotence be uh, muzzled? Like how? Either he can or he can't, right? I mean, come on. It's, it goes back to the old, the old, uh, the old uh, riddle. You know, can God make a stone that He can't lift? You know, that's a stupid objection. And there's an answer to that. There's an answer to that objection about God. God is not a fool, right? He's wise. Christ powerless? Why? Why is this? Why? What's going on here? He could do no, and it says, well, it tells you why. Because of, well, it doesn't actually connect it as clearly. He marveled because of their unbelief. Um, how many of you like the stop animation movies of for holidays? You know what I'm talking about, like Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer? Anybody like those? I love those things. They're awesome. And you're all... Philistines for not... Oh, Ian likes him because I introduced him to him. He's forced to watch him as a child. One of them I remember... I think this happens in the movie Elf, too. Uh, there's a popular idea on the holidays that if everybody would believe, Santa would have more power. Do you remember that? Like, this is an idea that if there were enough believers in Santa, it's going to power his sleigh. You get that? Like, somehow, if enough of us would believe in the power of Santa... It, See, like he, uh, if we had enough, it, it would, it would engine his engine would run, and he'd be able to deliver presents. That is not what is happening in this text at all. Although you could be think to think that for a minute, right? As if somehow Christ needs to recharge on faith, and then he'd be able to work. No, that's not what's going on. He is proving the thesis that we've been investigating again and again. Christ only does his power only works from zero. He only works with nothing to create everything. And you know what grabs nothing? Faith, faith has nothing in its hands, except what it grabs, it grabs Jesus. Faith brings nothing to the table, it simply believes and trusts and wholly surrenders to the love of the Son. So what does Christ powerless mean? He is continuing to advance the thesis that if there is no faith, he will not show his power. Because only through faith can we know the power of God. Only through believing can we be transformed by the freedom of the gospel. Only. Jesus plus nothing equals what? Everything including new life, new obedience, new hope, new joy, and everything that we are. So he is maintaining the thesis. He said, I am committed to my original idea. I am committed to this program. It will be by faith that you will be rescued, saved, transformed, and given new life. And that's the only way I'm going to do it. In my own town, it's going to be the testing ground. I'm going to show you. And so this thesis is going to go on from there. Christ can do no miracle of rebirth if you have not surrendered your attempts to be a good person and freely given yourself to his grace. He can't do it. Because he won't do it. Because <laughs> he had decided in an immutable decree that the Son of God shall be the Savior of man. Never Clayton, never Sarah, never Simon, never Ted, never me, never anybody else. <laughs> he will be a total rescue and a total savior. And so him, Christ powerless, yes, because he is the only power to save. And only through faith in the Son of God. This, this riddle is just popping out of the gospel. And here it is, in a, in a, sense, um, in a sense, the negative way this is being said, the negative Christ power, he could not, is an anti, it's like, a, it's like a, a negative way of saying the same thing. The positive thing, only by faith. Um, I did write this in my notes, and I, I, liked, I think I like the way it's said. to say, only out of the nothingness of faith will he show his power. Only out of the nothingness of faith will he reveal his power. Faith has nothing. Uh, it's a popular thing I'm hearing right now. It's the idea of pivoting. <laughs> I've heard about this. Apparently, when you get into, these, you get into this uh, software tech game uh, and you miss the market somehow and your, and your project doesn't work out, you reinvent yourself and you pivot, which means essentially you do something completely different than you were doing before, right? And you change your strategies. You pivot. And the ability to pivot well is a survival skill, right? Because you're able to reinvent, re- reposition, reassess the market because the markets are changing so quickly. And uh, it makes a lot of sense to, that, that there's a lot of wisdom in this. But I think Christ—I think that's in a sense what Christ is doing here. But I don't think he, he wasn't caught by surprise. I' me get idea. He didn't go, "Oh no," because uh, that wouldn't—that wouldn't make sense of this thesis at all. But he pivots. This is—that's what's so marvelous about what's happening right here. There's a progression here. Christ rejected, and Christ powerless. Has Christ, in a sense, where does Christ look most powerless? Where does Christ look like like he has no power at all? On the cross. He's done. He, He lost. Right at that moment, he looks like he is nobody and nothing. He's a loser. He's dead. Right at that point, what happens, though? The Son of God is victor over death, sin, and judgment. So... Watch this. Mark, this is, this is unbelievably wise. Mark is describing Christ rejected and Christ powerless as the pivot point at which he, he brought his disciples to his hometown because he knew they would see it. He knew they would be witnesses of his powerlessness where there is no faith because faith is what saves and he would be witnesses of his rejection. Why? Because he wanted to multiply the gospel and position them to go out. Because at the point at which he dies is the point at which they begin to be able to go and preach victory. Victory over sin, death, and judgment. You see, Christ is always descending in the Gospels. He's always humiliating himself. He's always losing. And it's all so that he can multiply and he positions his disciples and he sends them out right at that moment. And what's the first thing he prepares them for? Rejection. This is the first thing he prepares them for. He goes, If you're going to walk with me, if you're, first press, if you're going to walk with me, you're going to know rejection because that is a part of the honor of being one of my servants and my people. You're going to be rejected as I was rejected. Don't be surprised. Don't be afraid. Don't be alarmed. Don't be dismayed. People are going to reject you. Oh, by the way, a good Jew, this is, I, I, I don't know why I've never heard this before. But, A good Jew, when he would come back, a pious Jew, when he would come back from another country, would shake the dust off his feet before he entered into the Holy Land. So he wouldn't take any of the the dust of the Gentile lands into Jerusalem. So when Jesus tells the disciples to shake the dust off their feet in their house, he's saying the new Holy Land is the gospel of love. (laughs) And if anybody rejects the gospel of Christ's love given by faith, they know no power. They're rejected. There's a wonderful turnaround that happens here. You know, yes, you were rejected, but in a sense... Our rejection is that person's rejection. It's an amazing, we become this weird place where Christ is now being multiplied. And, be- and it doesn't look powerful to tell people they've got to know Jesus. It doesn't look or feel powerful. It's not, you know, it's not Christ in a beautiful life. It's, it's such a weird, oh. <laughs> We're walking, we're walking into such a strange mystery here. But it's amazing to me that Christ pivots and creates and sends the duos. That's by the way, that says two by two, duo, duo. He sends them out two by two into, into ministry and gospel ministry, which is what he's doing with us. He's sending us right at this point where they're discovering that only by faith can we know Christ's power and understand his rejection. I, the gospel seems so full of surprises to me. Um, I didn't read the next verse, the the next verse after 13. And Herod heard. You know, the mystery of the gospel, where, where faith saves and he is rejected and we are accepted, becomes the grounds under which the church is created and ministry happens at first press. And you know what happens when ministry multiplies? The mayor hears. The, the seismic kind of power of the gospel begins to resonate culturally, politically. Herod, and Herod was terrified when he heard about this Jesus because he thought it was John the Baptist come back from the dead. He was shocked and afraid and alarmed and, and who is this and what is this? So as I close today, I want to, I would like, I'm, I'm excited about how God is proving this thesis now. Does that make sense? Not merely how he was doing it in this narrative structure and the way that the, the, the book changes and the way it explodes and the way this wonderful story capitalizes on the power of God. Now, no, no, no. I'm interested now for the cynic and the skeptic and the seeker, for those who have saints get gathered, that we'll together seeing how Christ is now proving the thesis today in, in here in the table as we come by faith. He's proving it now that the Son of God brings all his power by faith. To those who were rejected. I love this! And then multiply us out of here into ministry and faith. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you for your words. We need help understanding them sometimes. These mysteries, these gospels just seem so weird to us, it seems so uh, counterintuitive. we, uh, I know for myself how often I've wanted, I've wanted, um, you know, this just to be uh, somehow rejection, not to be a part of the story, or discovering that everything's powerless apart from faith. I didn't. Only by your Holy Spirit will we have power to understand these things. Power to understand what Mark's doing here. I pray for ascending a multiplying work by your power, and I thank you for your words today in Christ, amen. On the night he was betrayed, our Lord Jesus Christ took bread and he broke it, saying, this is my body which is broken for you, take and eat. In the same way he also took a cup of wine, and he said, this is my blood shed for the forgiveness of sins. Take and drink. As often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. The purpose of a simple meal, the purpose of wine and bread, the stuff of everyday life for people, what we drink and what we eat, was to show um, how it's only by, sa- only by faith that you are saved. We must be fed and loved and covered by Christ's love on the cross. That's it. This table figures forth in a visual, tangible, tactile, and edible way that it's only by faith you are saved and only by the cross that you are covered And and you're covered fully. So I encourage you, as we do every week, you know, if you believe in Jesus, this is your table. If you're a sinner who ran a long way away, this is your table. If you're one of the people who couldn't save themselves, this is your table. Um, Conversely, um, I have a harsh word, a very harsh word. And the harsh word is this people who think they're good people, people who think that they can earn God's favor through their goodness or their holiness or their uh, good deeds, their selflessness. I think you're not worthy of this table. God does not welcome good people. He welcomes sinners. Whose only hope is faith. Ah, but that brings to the third group. Some of you, uh, faith is still uh, uh, an interesting idea. But that's something you know you can't really cash in on yet. Uh, With any integrity, you know you don't believe. If you don't believe, then, then I, I, I'm hoping you're going to watch me, and you're going to watch me, and it's going to bug you, and you're going to want and long for the knowledge of God that we have. And that someday you'll join us. But I ask you simply to watch and, and observe our intimacy with God uh, from, that, from that perspective. Make sense? All right, we're going to enter a time of organized chaos here. Uh, we're going to say the Apostles' Creed. I'm going to ask you to come forward, uh, those of you who assent to the, the Apostles' Creed, and uh, understand the words I've just disca- I have just described. Get some get some uh, gluten-free. This is gluten-free, yes? Yes. A gluten-free crackers and some wine. There's grape juice in the middle. These four cups in the middle are, are grape juice for those who prefer that. And... Um, Take it back to your seat. We'll eat it together, and we'll be done. We'll be. Uh, we'll sing the doxology and get a benediction.